Hello and welcome to another edition of Ed Choice Chats. Today we will be tackling a somewhat tough issue. Uh, I'm your host, Jennifer Wagner, our VP of Communications here at Ed Choice, and I'm joined by our president and CEO, Robert Enlow, for a frank conversation about race and segregation in America and in K-12 education. Robert, thank you for joining us today. Glad to be here. Well, let's just dive right in. Um, there's a lot going on right now in, in our society, in our nation. A lot of people are, are talking about the issue of race and segregation. So I, I want to start out by asking you, uh, is this the worst it's ever been uh, historically? And uh, how, do you, how do you see things unfolding right now? Well, that's a great question. Let me, let me first start by saying um, I'm lucky, right? I got born into a certain family, born a certain color, uh, able to access certain educational options. So in many, many ways, I have no understanding of how difficult it is. And, and I think we need to recognize that as a society. We often talk about these things, but really have no understanding. So I want to preface any comments I make with that kind of, of clarity that, that uh, I'm coming at it from a perspective that doesn't have the same experiences as many people who have been oppressed. So that, that said, in my opinion, is it worse than it's ever been? Um, it's pretty doggone bad right now. Um, I can remember some angst when I was growing up in the early 80s uh, when Reagan was coming to power. Um, I remember a lot of folks on, on, at that point I was on the left side of the aisle, uh, saying this is the worst thing ever and there was lots of problems going on in society. I vaguely remember some of the, the income issues uh, during Carter's time, but not really. So frankly, to be honest with you, I think this is a, a much more heightened time than it's ever been, and, and that's unfortunate, and there are lots of reasons for it. Well, let's talk specifically about the issue of educational choice, which has been in the news a lot recently, and there have been some heated debates about uh, race and segregation and integration in our K-12 system. Um, there have been some accusations that vouchers or other educational choice programs are, I think, what, kissing cousins of, uh, of racism and, and segregation. And talk a little bit about the actual facts um, when it comes to K-12 education in this time when we are 60 plus years after Brown v. Board was supposed to fix all this. Well, so the irony of this is that, that Ed Choice is probably one of the only things out there that is trying to bridge this gap between races because it understands the nature of how we need to make sure that all children are educated uh, to their highest potential, regardless of their income or regardless of their color or regardless where they live. And so this connection of this discussion of race with educational choice is really, really tragic. And I, I think it's being perpetrated by some folks in the teachers' unions who have an axe to grind, who actually want to make political points as opposed to have a real honest conversation about this. There's a lot of other issues about our racial social justice that we should be talking about. But educational choice is actually one of the things that's helping make things better. We have a situation where we have majority-minority districts on either side of the income gap. And this is just growing and growing and growing. And so we have a huge gap between the have and the have-nots. You know, Dr. Friedman's original concept of choice was that we would, we would change the stratification of society by allowing families the freedom to choose. We literally have made home prices in this country a de facto segre segregation now. And that's unacceptable, and EdChoice seeks to change that. We know from the data as well that when you're having children in ed choice programs or in, in voucher programs or tax credit scholarship programs or ESA programs, they are literally making a positive impact. They're becoming more integrated. And in fact, the studies are, are clear on this. 
if you're in a school choice program, you are actually integrating schools in a better way than you've ever integrated them before. So, so while there are some, while there are many issues we should be dealing with with race and education, educational choice is one of the ones that we should be holding up as a thing that could help people. And do you think that's why in a lot of the polling that we've seen, um, you have a high level of support for school choice and school choice programs from uh, specifically from African-American communities and Latino communities? Yeah, yeah let's, let's be very clear about this. If you look at the latest Ed Next poll, and I was looking at the other day, the 2017 poll on vouchers and charters and tax credits, all of it, right? Uh, the support for African-Americans and Hispanics is there. The people who support it the least are white, educated people. Now, why is that? That's because they're able to move to a district and get what they want. That's their self-interest, and I don't begrudge anyone their self-interest. But we have created a system in which people can only get their self-interest filled if they have money to do so. And that's that's where Ed Choice comes and tries to upend that nature of power. And we really have seen some changes because of that. We know that in, in places like San Diego, where you have a good, high-quality charter school, that you end up creating a much more diverse society, uh, diverse uh, local area where people are moving back into that area. This is a positive thing. We've seen this here in Indianapolis, too, with, with the Oaks Academy, with Heron Charter School. You have a much more vibrant environment of mixing of, of cultures and races when you have high-quality education. And so we, we have got to break free from this concept that your house price determines the quality of your school. Uh, and I, I couldn't agree more. My, my kids are both in private school, and it's far more diverse in their classrooms than it was in the uh, public magnet school that we left. So um, I do actually want to take the conversation in that direction um, because you hear a lot these days from educators and from parents about how they are supposed to deal with this issue as they teach our young minds, as they raise their own kids or grandkids. And I'm just curious, Robert, you just sent your last son off to college. But as a parent, how, how have you and how would you recommend approaching the issue of race and segregation in our society uh, in these times? So, you know, as a, as a parent who sent two kids off to college in the last three years, the answer is to keep talking with your kids about it. We, My children and I have had open conversations about it, and it's ironic. They don't even consider the, the discussion in the way that we do. They they know society should be integrated. They know and understand that schools should be, should be mixes and places where people are choosing to go. They want to be in diverse society, diverse society, diverse schools. So having that conversation with, with your children, and one went to private school and one went to a charter school, and so both of those environments created a more tolerant child and a child more interested in, in diversity. Uh, so I think the key thing that we, we parents can do is continue to have an honest dialogue. And, and by the way, that shouldn't just be an echo chamber dialogue. We should be having conversations with people who don't agree with us. We should be finding people on the other side of issues that we can have open and honest conversations that become heated but not personal. And, and I think that's something that's really important to do. And by the way, as a parent of two teen, uh, high school, uh, now college-educated boys, you can have them between your children and you, too. I bet those are some fun conversations to have. That was actually the easier of my two questions about how we communicate on this issue. The tougher one is actually the one that addresses what's happening within the school choice movement right now. And I think we've seen... Um, probably since last November's election, so, some fracturing, and you wrote recently about it over on Rick Hess's blog, uh, among those in our movement who maybe weren't as committed to the idea of school choice um, in the face of those difficult conversations, in the face of um, a political climate right now that, you know, regardless of what side you're on, uh, is difficult. And so how do we as a movement stay steady and get through these turbulent times uh, while tackling this and other issues? 
If I knew the answer to that, I'd have a million dollars. But I do want to say a couple things. Um, one, we have to recognize the challenge that the last election has presented to us as a society. Um, it, it's not been an easy transition, and it's not been an easy dialogue, and it's, and it's not going to continue to be an easy dialogue based on what we see every day. So I think we have to be honest and open with where that is. Uh, and so that said, look, the, the fact that President Obama supported charter schools uh, but not a lot of other things that I supported doesn't mean I hated what he supported, everything, I, or hated him or hated the politics around him. I loved what he was supporting in charter schools. Didn't agree with everything. President Bush, ironically, I didn't agree with No Child Left Behind, right, so in many ways, right? So, so I think one of this conversation we have to have is we have to start discussing how we remove politics. We every, Let me take a step back. Of course, being aware of political situations and politics is critically important, and anyone who's not is actually not living in the real world. That said, our movement has become dependent, it seems, on which party is in power. And that is unacceptable to what we are trying to achieve. For example, I support um, much of the things related to the changes needed from Ferguson, right, and the results of that. How do we have a conversation about the oppression caused by fees and the oppression caused by charges to people who are poor, extra charges, or all sorts of uh, takings and civil asset forfeiture? How do we have that conversation, right, and say the government is bad on that end, but we're okay with the government running our kids on the front end? Now, ironically, those two things are diametrically politically opposed, right? So the Fergusons would be the one supported by the, the, the left and, and the vouchers would be supported by the one on the right, supposedly. Until we get to as a movement to the fact that it doesn't matter which party you support, it matters which philosophy you have. And, and we're not going to get past this problem. And right now, the philosophy of many of my friends in the school choice movement is politics matter more than children. And I'm going to be blunt with that. They think it's more important to worry about the political person in power rather than the philosophy that we should be supporting. And yes, the person in current power right now has a lot of issues that we should all be very concerned about. Um, so I'm not hesitating saying that. Uh, but there's also some, some fact he supports dual choice. You know, what am I going to say about that? Am I going to say, hey, it's terrible that he supports school choice because it's him, right? But it was great when Obama supported charter schools because it's him. That doesn't seem to me to be the way we should be looking at this movement. And I've been saying this a lot recently. We should be focusing on what we want to achieve, not where we live, right? So we should be focusing on how do we get to a system that serves all kids? How do we get to a society that gets stronger? How do we get to children that are successful regardless of who's in political power? And so I've always seen myself, uh, there's this theologian named Jacques Ellul who wrote something called Anarchy and Christianity, and, and he basically argued that one of the, the preeminent things we should be doing is standing on the hill and complaining about everyone. And so I think there's something to that in the school choice movement that we've forgotten. We've made it all about politics and, not for, and forgotten that we're standing up for some social justice. We're standing up for some civil right here, regardless of whether you're Milton Friedman right or Howard Fuller left. Where there is a social justice civil rights argument to be made in how we're treating children in education and how we're treating adults throughout life. Well, obviously, I wouldn't be sitting here if I didn't agree with you. Um, I guess my last question, though, is uh, obviously you said earlier, you know, you are um, you were born into a, a family that was able to give you everything, as was I. We are both white. You can't see us, but we are, um, which makes us allies. It makes us advocates. 
uh, not just in the school choice movement, but generally in society. I will never know what it feels like to walk into a store and have someone assume I'm going to steal something because of the color of my skin. So what else can we do, if anything, to shine a light on the injustices, to shine a light on the inequities in our educational system beyond just working in this movement? So that's a great question, and there was two things I'd say about this, one on the micro and one on the macro level. On the micro level, you know what? If you see injustice, say something about it. Don't stop. And I would ask our, our people who listen to this podcast, how many times you walk by a homeless person and not looked in their eyes? Think about the kind of justice you're giving and showing people every day and everything you do. And then we can have conversations about what it means to have educational freedom and economic liberty. So look at the micro level and just don't not say something. So when I've had friends who are uh, great friends who happen to be of color, we, we walk into a restaurant and all of a sudden it closed, you trust me, I got up in the guy's face as quick as I could because that's unacceptable. On the macro level, we, we should be trying to have policies that do two things. We really were given by, by Dr. King an idea of what things should be that content of character should be more important than, than the color of your skin. We have an idea where things should be. And we should not forget that we should be thinking about that in all of our policies while understanding that we can't be ignorant of where we are. And so one of the things that I think is happening here is we're spending all of our time in the, and it, let me rephrase that, we're spending too much of our time because of the current environment in how things are, and, and we probably need to be there. But we should not forget where we should be going policy-wise. What does a just society look like? What does a, an educationally free and economically uh, vibrant society look like? Does it look like what we have now? or does it, In education, let's take a perfect example. Does it look like a bunch of state-run schools that are segregated? Not to me. So can we truly be colorblind? Um, probably not as much as I'd like. Um, I think the goal is to keep striving there. Maybe I'm the relentless optimist. I think if we keep, we keep struggling, we keep fighting, we keep pushing, we're going to get closer and closer. And yes, there are going to be times when things go bad like they are right now. Um, but yes, there are going to be times when they're better. So, you know, maybe it's when you're over 50, you start seeing things a little bit differently. Uh, but I, I, think, I think things can get better, and we should never not give up on what we're shooting for, ever. We should never not keep striving for what it should be. Uh, we should keep striving for that every single day. But we should also be aware of how things are bad. One of the challenges Milton Friedman used to say all the time is we would make policy based on how bad things are now and forget about what we should be making policy on. And what you end up doing is then you, you do that, and you'd have to come five years later and redo the policy that was bad in the first place. So there is a, there is a, there is a conversation to be had here about how do we keep going forward to the next level of, of conversations about this? How do we keep putting our eyes on ultimately the prize of a colorblind society? Um, do I think we'll get there? I'd like to hope so. Well, I hope so too. And I think on that note, uh, I want to thank you, Robert, for joining us today for uh, another edition of EdChoice Chats. And uh, thank you for all the work that you do and, and for, for having all of us here committed to your hopeless optimism. Well, I appreciate that. I'd like to say thank you to all the families out there who are trying their darndest to get their kids into school, right? To get their, trying their darndest to, to, in difficult situations to making sure that their kids have the access that I had. And that's the only reason I'm in this game. And we thank you for it. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and have a great day.